Hello, this is Father Michael Eads from the Toronto Oratory, and you're listening to Lexio et Oratio, a short spiritual reading podcast followed by a reflection. The Life of St. Philip Neri by Antonio Galonio, Part 4, Section 36. What Philip did in 1555. Around the year of our Lord, 1555, Philip was walking with a crowd of followers near the baths of Diocletian when he saw a demon in the form of a man standing on an ancient tumble-down wall. He looked at it more closely and saw that it appeared now as a youth, now as an old man. Recognizing by these changes that it was some wile of the devil, he ordered it in the name of Christ to reveal what it was. Abashed by this, it fled at once and quickly, but left the most terrible odor which filled the place so that not even the animals could endure it, demonstrating clearly to Philip and his followers what nature of thing it was. Here, I must not admit to mention that the devil was so keen to disturb his peace of mind that it used to appear visibly to him at night, the time he spent in more intense prayer. With all its might, it would strive to obstruct or at least hinder the fervor of Philip's attention to God. One night in particular, I am not sure at which period this happened, while Philip was offering his accustomed prayers to God, the demon appeared in order to terrify him. When the holy man noticed this, he immediately directed his prayer to the most holy mother of God. Dismissing the terror as something of little consequence and defeating his enemy's design by his courageous devotion, being able to pray no less well, but rather better. You see, the devil is cowardly if you confront him, audacious only when your back is turned. But I digress. In the same year, when the enemy of the human race saw what a harvest of souls was being gathered in day by day through the efforts of Philip alone, he was as jealous as usual and determined to drag him away from his purpose through the lore of the flesh. Using an immodest woman, he had tempted it thus. There was a whore in the city, entangled in the devil's nets named Cesarea, who had no good qualities apart from her looks. At the devil's suggestion, she began to boast in front of the entourage of young men who shared her life of shame, that she could win Philip's attentions and entice him into lust. They wagered her a large sum of money to attempt that, and the wretched woman accepted the wager. She was, however, afraid that she would be able to achieve nothing with such a holy man, being, after her own fashion, cunning enough about the destruction of others, and so worked out the only possible scheme would be through deceit. So what did the woman decide? What did the devil suggest to her? She sent to him, using a messenger who appeared respectable, 
but was one of her devotees with the message that she was dying in peril of both body and soul, that she wanted to return to a good outcome and expiate her previous life of crime through confession. She begged him not to refuse help to a soul in danger. And Philip, being full of an incredible charity for the salvation of all, was exceedingly delighted with the occasion offered for bringing one of Christ's lost lambs back to the sheepfold. He left his house and went to her, suspecting nothing. But hardly had Philip climbed the stairs before the woman, that instrument of the devil, cast off all modesty and shame and exposed herself to him naked, save for a veil drifting across her body, hoping that it would fall off attractively in front of him and so achieve her object. But as God willed, and as he provided his assistance, Philip's simplicity overcame her cunning, his chastity, her lust. Being a holy man, he detected the assault on his chastity, and since he alone was at risk, he at once seized his opportunity to escape. Thus he frustrated the wiles of that woman, so impotent, impious, and vile, and thus the devil's attempt came to nothing, and his power diminished proving what Philip had so often told us, that other types of temptation should be resisted by confronting them, but that in this case alone, it is best to fly and not to engage. As for the scheming woman, once she realized she had been foiled, she was enraged as well as deeply shamed and grabbed the first piece of furniture she could lay her hands on to hurl at his back, hoping to kill him. God looked after his champion, and he was unharmed, escaping with his health and his virtue intact, which surely was something of a miracle. As a result of this atrocious attempt, Philip discovered that God had granted him, for the future, complete immunity from the urges of desire and pangs of sensuality for the 30 years that remained until his death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Angels of God, our guardians dear, to whom God's love commits us here, ever this night be at our side, to light and guard, to rule and guide, amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, teacher of teachers, have mercy on us. Saint Philip Neri, child of Mary, apostle of Rome, vessel of the Holy Ghost, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we have two different kinds of temptations tonight. St. Philip was tempted to stop his prayers, to stop his spending time with people his apostolic ventures of leading them out on walks, spiritual conversations by the devil. The devil would try to scare Philip, either by appearing in various shapes when he was out walking or when he was by himself praying at night. And Galonio, who is the author of this book, Antonio Galonio, who lived with Philip for the last 10 years of his life, um, was able to follow up a lot of these stories firsthand, try to verify him, 
try to create this year-by-year account of St. Philip's life. So if St. Philip was ordained in 1551, he's at this age, at this point he's 39, he's been a priest for four years, and the devil was very upset with all the good that St. Philip was doing in Rome. And so he wasn't content just to attack him visibly at prayer. He also made use of this prostitute to try to seduce Philip. Now, two things. The first is that Philip did not need an exorcism. Philip was not somehow uh, under some deep influence of the devil. And yet the devil was allowed even to appear to him visibly. So sometimes people think if they're being attacked by the devil, the demonic temptations, that it must be because they're somehow possessed or obsessed by a demon. But God allows his saints to be tempted, to be tried, to be persecuted by the devil. And the means to escape are prayer and perseverance. And above all, turning to the most holy mother of God. And then to confront the devil, not to get into a dialogue with the devil. That's not the goal. But to confront him. Be gone, Satan. Jesus confronted him directly when he was tempted. And that's the way the devil flees. St. Therese of Lisieux used to make the devil fly with a little bit of holy water. She'd see them flying. And she knew that they, when confronted, like St. Philip says, they're cowardly. They don't have sanctifying grace. They don't have the beatific vision. Yes, they have a great, powerful intellect and will, but they don't have grace. There's a kind of insecurity in the devil. He's a big bully. And when confronted, he flees. But there is a kind of temptation that cannot be confronted directly. You don't resist lust by confronting it. How do we resist lust? By doing what St. Philip did tonight, fleeing, flying, running, getting away as quick as possible. This somewhat famous temptation, which Galonio presents in a not a very flattering way for Cesarea, and somehow in some ways, it makes us feel sorry, I think, for her. He's, he's clearly not very sympathetic for her. And he talks about her, and, uh, and we don't know what eventually happens to her. But she tried her best to do all she could to win the bet, to lead Philip astray. And the victory that St. Philip won was by fleeing. As he said later on, in the battle for purity, it's the cowards who win, those who flee. In other words, don't delay, don't linger, don't try to confront these temptations directly. All that does is get us more and more entangled. It gets our desires going, our imagination going. And then we are powerless against the temptations. But finally, notice what happened to St. Philip. It's kind of like St. Thomas Aquinas. When he was trying to become a Dominican, his brothers captured him and they locked him in a room in their family castle. And they also brought a prostitute to him and they put her in the room. And 
St. Thomas, the only way he could overcome it, he couldn't escape, is he, he got a log from the fire. And he, the end of it was burning, and he grabbed it and basically held the woman at bay. And then when she left, he made a big cross on the door. With, and at that moment, he was given a special grace never to feel even the first movements, the first urges of lust. And that's what St. Philip was similarly given tonight, tonight's reading. The last 30 years of his life, he became kind of like a stone. That his sensual movements were so completely sanctified. They were so completely made virtuous that he did not face those kind of temptations interiorly for the rest of his life. So let us not say what great things the saints do. Rather, let's say what great things God does in the saints. And if St. Philip could be protected by the power of God from temptation, if his desires could be transformed, they can also be transformed in us. Come, Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.